For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. And welcome to Wrestling with Problems. I'm your host, King David Lane. This is King David Lane on just about every social media platform. So give me a like, follow, friend request, and I will probably give you one in return. Uh, I'm in a fresh cert version of Hail. This is my third attempt to record this week's show. I started it on Monday. I recorded it and the sound didn't work. Tried it again on Tuesday and the sound didn't work. So now I'm trying for the third time on Tuesday. Hopefully the sound works. If the sound does not work now, you'll probably never know. I'm not going to record it again. But I'm going to give this one final shot. As I mentioned on the second edition of the show that you never got to hear, Brian was actually live in the studio and recorded the Monday edition. And he's not here for the two Tuesdays edition. Why is he not here? Well, you know, some of my people might say just because he can't record because sound technical difficulties the last few days, he just can't be here. Other rumors on the internet might be that he says something very racist and or anti-Semitic. I want to assure you, Ryan Hunter at Brock Biz on Twitter did not say anything anti-Semitic. However, there are certain racial slurs you can't use. And he used pretty much all of them for Canadians. And we love our Canadian listeners. So we had to cancel him for the rest of the week. So no Brian on the rest of the week. That's their word, Brian. You're not allowed to use it. So I'm not going to further speculate on this, but he's canceled for the week. Anyway, let's get into some of the hot wrestling talk. Although for me, it's not feeling that hot because I already said this stuff twice already, but I'm going to do it anyway. You're going to hear it. It's going to sound fresh to you. Anyway, let's go ahead and get on with it. Obviously, Backlash was uh, this past Sunday. There's only one topic that most of us want to talk about regarding Backlash. You know what that is. The main topic is the zombies. The zombies were garbage. The zombies, the zombies were trash. It was fucking ridiculous. That's right. I use the word fucking this time. I don't. I try not to use that word on this show because we try to be a TV 14 slash PG 13 sort of show, but it was fucking terrible. At no point at all do I ever want to talk about this crap ever again, but I'm going to have to for the third time because I'm in the fresh form of hell. I'm going to have to talk about it again and again and again, probably for eternity. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe I died and went to hell and that's why I was forced to watch it. That's why I'm talking about it for the third time in three days. And I know some people are saying, 
Why do you hate the zombies so much? You like The Undertaker. You like Kane. You like Papa Shango. There's other people, you know, there's characters like Abaddon. Why is the zombie getting so much hate? And let me tell you exactly why. There's been some great supernatural gimmicks. There's been some terrible supernatural gimmicks in the history of wrestling. There's been some great angles, even with like somebody like The Undertaker. There's been some terrible gimmicks and angles with The Undertaker. Like, when we found out Vince McMahon was the higher power, that was stupid and ridiculous. That was stupid. Nobody liked that. But at least when, for the most part, when WWE's done stuff like that with characters that we liked, with the gimmick we didn't like, at least it made sense for the character somewhat. At least there was some sort of logical reason for doing the angle that they did. Sometimes you just write yourself in a corner and that's what there was no excuse for the zombies. The zombies had no storyline going into this pay-per-view. They had no ties with Damian Priest. And that could have been something they did very, very easily. His name is Damian Priest. You could have found a way to just come up with some sort of supernatural stuff with Damian Priest if you wanted to, but they didn't do that. They had David Batista's tweet in a movie he's fighting zombies, not as zombies are his friend, and they're coming to do the lumberjacks pay-per-view for no apparent reason that's stupid not to mention the fact that Dave Bautista doesn't actually work there in WWE anymore so it's stupid for them to be promoting his movie like that heavily by involving it into the car now granted I know they probably paid very good money to WWE to do some of this advertisement or sponsor pay-per-view that doesn't mean you need to write them directly into the show because it's stupid it's also stupid because of the fact that Army of the Dead is a Netflix movie. The competing streaming service to the service your own WWE. So yeah, okay, you can promote them, but we understand different networks and different streaming services promote other products all the time when there's advertisement dollars involved. That makes complete sense. But it doesn't make sense for you to write them into the show. The match it was only seven minutes long, but for some reason it felt like it went on forever, and that was because of the zombies. John Morrison actually did some good spots during the scene with the zombies, but it was still stupid to have zombies involved. And the other thing is, zombies make terrible lumberjacks if you, if you figure out what a zombie is. If they just want to eat people, why would they know the rules to stay out of the ring? That doesn't make any sense. When they just try to eat everybody all the time, and the other problem is the zombies, they were ringside or nothing like the zombies in the movie. The, the zombies in the movie, Army of the Dead, actually seem to be somewhat reasonably smart zombies that actually can make wise decisions and whatnot. Why would they decide to just stand down and move all slow and stupid when they can move relatively fast in Army of the Dead movie? So overall, that was just a series of stupid ideas for stupid reasons. It made no sense in this particular angle. So, yes, I hate it. Yes, I was stupid. Yes, it was trash. Nobody do anything to stupid again, WWE, although I know they probably will because that's the way WWE works. As much as we are, for the most part, if we're dealing with this with wrestling fans, we know WWE is going to pick times to do stupid stuff like this. This is one of those times. That's it. Let's move on to talking about the rest of the card. And another stupid thing that Peacock does Unlike WWE Network, when it was that, when they had the kickoff show, they would have the different things listed, 
it would be very quickly listed among just edit so you could just go up to it and pick it out but i could not find the kickoff show when i first went to watch it sunday night uh after i came home from improv rehearsal because i couldn't watch the pay-per-view live i had stuff to do but i was going to watch it you know around nine o'clock came home couldn't watch it because i couldn't find it that apparently Seamus defeated Ricochet in a kickoff show. Maybe if I go back now, maybe I'll find it, but I could not find it Sunday night, so I have no idea how good that match was. I assume because it had Ricochet and it was a good match. Next, we had Rhea Ripley defeated Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Triple threat match for the WWE World Women's Championship. I enjoyed this match. I would call it good, not great. There was really, I don't think there was really a great match on this card. Again, I say good, not great. I'm not saying it was terrible. I'm just saying I have have expectations for these women. They did a good job, but not a great job. They didn't do nearly what they could do. Although, you know, this being a triple threat match, there are limitations, you know, as far as uh, obviously it's no DQ, but they usually don't try to, quote, go extreme in these matches. There's only one, what I'd call, slightly more extreme spot that I remember from this whole card in general. But it was... Very good wrestling from them, which is what you'd expect. So, nothing to complain about. Just it was not great. It was good. It was not great. Next, we had Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio defeated Dolph Ziggler and Rudolph Ruth, the Dirty Dogs, for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. It is being billed as the first time father and son have been WWE Tag Champs. As far as I know, this is the case. Although, you know, are we still, you know, dealing with maybe Ray? not Dominic's father, maybe it's Eddie. Is that still a thing? Because I know on Wikipedia, or if you Googled it a few weeks ago, that wasn't what they had listed. They had Dominic's steady son. Next time I went back and looked, they had however fixed it. Have we gone back and forth on that? I guess the I guess the uh the next thing to be done with Ray Mysterio is the next max challenge. Ray could uh, team with Aaliyah and win that, and then he could just have the whole thing go uh, full circle, I guess. I guess they also could do an angle where Aaliyah is actually Eddie's daughter, too, but you know, I, I don't think they're going to do that. WWE has done some stupid stuff. I, don't, I think that's the one, I think that's the line that they won't cross there. <laughs> Although they did do the gimmick where Eddie was, uh, like they did do the gimmick where Aaliyah was like Murphy's daughter, I guess. <laughs> well, actually, that's not the way it worked. It actually worked that uh, he was her dad. <laughs> that's not the same as her being his daughter. Him being her dad. He's a different dad. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you don't hang out in the same circles right now. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. Uh, back to actual wrestling assault instead of going dirty places and stuff. I apologize. That was inappropriate. I should not have done that. Uh, we had the Damian Priest Miz mess with Morrison that I talked about. It was very stupid, and I'm not going to talk about it again because I've already had to talk about it three times recording this podcast. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, bad. Bianca Belair defeated Bailey for a singles match for uh, the WWE SmackDown, SmackDown Women's Championship. Another good match, not great match. Good work by these two, but again, I know they they're both they are both capable of more. Uh, Related note, I did uh, receive an announcement during taping today that it looks like they're going to do a Bianca Belair versus Bailey hair versus hair match. So I'm excited to see that. 
I assume, uh, even though they call it hair versus hair, I assume if Bianca Belair loses, she'll probably just lose the ponytail and just walk a short dude for a while. I assume if Bailey loses, she'll actually go fully shaved since her hair is already kind of short and has been cut already anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm picturing if Bailey loses, she'll be like Serena Deeb was for like a while. I assume if Bianca Belair loses, she'll just, you know, she'll just do the sort thing for a while. I also, I think most likely Bailey would lose that match just due to the fact that WWE is, has been uh, hyping Bianca's the next big thing and they want to keep her, quote, looking her best, I say. So I, I would assume that Bailey is probably you know, the one that loses this match because it also fits with her heel gimmick. These hair versus hair matches tend to work better when the heel loses and they have to look kind of ridiculous for about a month or two. So I'm picturing that's what's going to happen when they have that match, if they have it. But this is, I don't think it's been officially announced. This is just the rumor going on because originally they were, I guess they, it was supposed to be done with Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville, but they dropped it when they had the stalker thing happen. Apparently the last hair versus hair match apparently was like seven years ago. I did not realize Sylvester Fort versus Big Kaz was seven years ago. Apparently that's what happened. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> uh, anyway, next match was triple threat match for WWE Championship. Bobby Lashley, the champ, with DDP, defeated Braun Strowman and Drew McIntyre. Another good match, not great match, but very, very solid work by all the gentlemen in this match. Uh, they did have the most probably memorable spot of the pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley being put through the LED, you know, board by Drew McIntyre, which allowed Drew to go work on Braun Strowman. It looked like he was going to win the match when he uh, did a Claymore kick to Braun Strowman. And of course, at the last minute, Bobby Hill, Bobby Lashley, the heel champion, snuck in by attacking Drew and then, you know, spearing Braun Strowman and stealing the win. That's exactly what you expect to happen in a triple threat match like this when you have a basically a heel and faces. Because I guess they were they were presenting Drew and Braun as faces for the most part in this. So you knew it was going to come down to them probably screwing each other over. Whenever you have two of one and one of the other, you expect the odd man out. You have two heels and one face, you expect the face to win. You have two faces and one heel, you expect the heel to win. <laughs> That's just sort of the way it sort of goes in each triple threat. Last but not least. You had Roman Reigns, the champ, with Paul Heyman, defeated Cesaro by technical commission. Uh, this was the longest match on the card by like 10 minutes. This match, uh, it felt like almost the same amount of length as watching a Lumberjack match. <laughs> but uh, this, while this match had some solid work in it, because, you know, Cesaro is a very good technical worker. Roman Reigns is a solid worker, particularly when he's in main events. Uh, this match still felt like it was too long at the end of a three-hour card. I did end up watching it basically split into two parts. I think I watched roughly 90 minutes the first night, and I watched 90 minutes Monday. Uh, I was pretty sure Star was not going to win, so this match being almost half hour long just felt like way too long. It felt like a little bit too much rest break and too much. Although they did uh, end up, do, and I was actually surprised by the lack of angle development. They did a good job telling the story of Cesaro finally getting his chance for Strum Reigns. They did, don't, don't get me wrong, they did a good job of that. It just felt like uh, they didn't do much as far as furthering the angle between these two when the match finally ended. But then I realized why at the end when they did have Seth Rollins come in and sort of stare down Roman Reigns. I was like, oh, no, 
Don't tell me we're going to get Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns again. We're going to get members of the Shield feuding again. I don't want this again. But then he sort of went a different direction and started beating up Cesaro. So actually, we get a Cesaro, Cesaro Seth Rollins feud out of this. That actually worked pretty, pretty well. So while the match didn't quite end the way I wore it, and I thought it did run a little bit long, that was a nice sort of added benefit of them having had the match and sort of a nice spinoff to take it a different direction. So overall, this probably would have been like an 8 out of 10 pay-per-view, which is, I guess, a pretty good rating for one of the pay-per-views that's not the majors. Basically, I look at the WWE pay-per-views the following way. There's the three traditional long-term majors. Those are the, obviously, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and WrestleMania. I don't count Survivor Series, even though they kind of consider it the fourth major. It's not. It has not been in 20 years, if not longer. And then there's the the next. The, there's the three what I call summer majors. They're the good gimmick views that you expect to have good matches in, just to, just due to the gimmick involved with it. Obviously, Money in the Bank is going to be probably good no matter what, especially because now you usually get two Money in the Bank matches, so that's probably going to be good every year. Yet, uh, Hell in a Cell is probably going to be good every year. You have Elimination Chambers, probably going to be good every year. So that doesn't even include the NXT different things. I do like the fact that they've sort of incorporated some of the uh, old WCW favorite views, like uh, what's it called, the uh, War Games and the uh, Halloween Havoc and some of the stuff in NXT special events. And of course, you know, uh, the old WWF paper you in your house now being NXT thing is kind of cool. Although I do think they need to bring back giving away a house. Uh, I think they literally need to give away a house. Then they necessarily have to be like a huge, most one of the most expensive houses. They can give away like a house that's like two hundred fifty thousand. I guess just the correlation. Uh, still, I guess I guess it still could be a decent house, uh, new, a decent new house, depending on the neighborhood. Or they could just, you know, you also you offer the option of oh, you can just take. We say you're giving a house, you can take the cash option if you want. That would be another way to do it. Although you could just probably just sponsored by some home builder, they'd probably be more than willing to do it, and that would cover the cost of it. Or you could also uh, raise extra money for it by doing all this social media content, YouTube videos, WDE.com videos, you sell advertising on. So there are definitely ways to cover it. Uh, when you do those sort of videos, if you're not doing quote a a random you know giveaway, you could always do it where the people quote compete for the house whether it be like different people in need and you have to have so many votes or you you let a panel of WWE stars decide to do this house or however you want to do it. That could be a way to do it, to raise the money to do it and make it worthwhile financially give the house away. Uh, so that's that. WWE's WrestleMania Backlash. It was stupid to call WrestleMania Backlash. You don't have a random pay-per-view with, with WrestleMania in the title. WrestleMania is WrestleMania, and you don't use the name for game for a year. But that was the Backlash pay-per-view. It could have been 8 out of 10, but it ended up being a 7 out of 10 because of the stupidity of the zombie stuff that dropped at a whole 1 point out of the 10-point scale that I normally use, a 0 to 10-point scale. Because actually, most people do a 1 to 10-point scale. I will include a 0 if something's terrible enough. You, know, you need to have that 0 as an option. So that concludes our coverage of WrestleMania Backlash for the week. Let's get on to some of the other wrestling news for the evening. Uh, where should I start from there? I guess I'll go with uh, this particular uh, story. Uh... 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Basically, uh, I did recently watch Dark Side of the Ring, uh, the first edition. I'm not, I'm not up to date on the latest episodes. I do watch it on Hulu. I'm probably going to very slowly get through it over the course of time. It's probably going to take me forever, so I'm not going to be discussing the recent episodes, but I'm going to discuss the ones I talk about, the ones I did watch. I did watch the first episode, which is Macho Man and Elizabeth, and that would actually lead into a later story we were going to discuss in just a few moments, but I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and start it off with uh, talking about that. Um, uh, I guess overall, I never, uh, I kind of knew that they had had a breakup, and I, but I didn't really know the details of it at the time. Uh, when they were going through the breakup, that would have been my late high school, uh, early college years. I don't even think I was aware of the fact that they had broken up until Elizabeth showed up in WCW and they discussed, you know, the fact that her and Randy weren't together anymore. I think I don't even think I knew about it. You know, they did have the wrestling internet community was sort of in its early days at that point. I wouldn't have been as plugged in. I, while I did follow certain wrestling news, I probably didn't know all the different stories going on at the time. By the way, you know, computers and internet connections were much slower then. Uh, most of the computers that I used in college didn't even have pictures on. They were just sort of text-based computers. I did have options. I, I realized later, you know, after about a year or two, I did have the option of using computers with pictures. But pictures took so long to load. With the internet being so slow at the time, it wasn't worth it. It was just faster to go to text-based computers at the time. And also, we had the text-based computers in a dorm, but the computer, the picture-based computers in the computer lab, I was not willing to walk to the computer lab. I would just go downstairs in my dorm to the computer lab or later when I lived in like a little bit more advanced level housing where the frats and athletes tended to live. We actually had a computer lab downstairs from us there. But actually, technically, I was, since I was the RA at that point, I actually had access to it whenever I want. So even though I didn't have my own computer, I had access to the computer whenever I wanted. It felt like going downstairs. So I felt like a damn-ass king then. But anyway, very early on anyway back back to wrestling talk uh i was aware that their breakup obviously normally when there's a divorce that usually is a sign that the relationship was not in a good place i was not aware of the volatility i was not aware of the uh, jealousy that randy had, had at the time i mean later on i became a little bit more aware but at the time i didn't know that i was not aware of how intense of a person he was both on and off screen like at that point i kind of knew there was separation between the character and the uh the uh off screen persona because as a kid i was like probably in that when i first became aware of randy Savage, i was probably in the age of eight nine or ten when i first became aware of randy you know as you get older, you learn a little bit more about the separation of wrestlers and their characters, and you learn that Randy's not his real name and all kinds of other stuff, but it was only later that I became aware of that separation. Then I realized I did become aware of the fact that his character his, and his person were a lot closer than, you know, a lot of other people, although that was, you could say that for a lot of other people in the 80s, too, as well. 
but his intensity and his jealousy actually was in real. It was like it was it was like you know like particularly just in the eighties, the characters that were more successful were the ones that sort of lived their gimmick. And unfortunately, for Randy and Elizabeth, that was not necessarily a good thing. Um, I do think that they tried to protect Randy's image a lot when they did the show. They didn't they didn't quite. Uh, go that hard on him, but you sort of read tell between reading the lines that he was a bit overbearing, kind of abusive. They didn't mention any physical violence, and I don't think that was necessarily there. They just they 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 seem to point out that it was like uh, mentally abusive and being overprotective and being overbearing that sort of thing within their relationship. And it was uh, a rough situation. Eventually, she felt like she couldn't have friends. She couldn't have a good time. She felt suffocated. Finally, she went down to Florida, and she ended up, you know, meeting somebody else and sort of hanging out with him for a while. And that's eventually what led to her, you know, eventually leaving him when he was on the road. And she just turns out, she, I guess she told Linda, or she told Randy, because <laughs> she wanted her, her to know if she was like her only like sort of female friend within the industry, even though. She wasn't technically directly in the industry. She was, you know, sort of, sort of providing that back behind the scenes support for Hulk, you know, doing his clothes, doing, you know, quote, traditional wifely duties and that sort of stuff. So I was I was not aware how that how that all ended. I was not aware that, you know, she sort of ended up sort of seeing someone else and then eventually, you know, leaving it in. I was not aware when she went to WCW that Randy's sort of the guy got a job because while he was, you know, somewhat abusive in the relationship he did sort of he did still care he did try to look out for it. it's just when you're a guy you're and you're not in the best head space you sort of have a misplaced look at how you do that i'm not excusing it i want to make clear that anybody's listening i'm not saying that it's okay that he did that it's clearly not okay it's far from okay but that's what he was thinking in his own crazy head that you know me being, you know, this overbearing type is protecting her from the dangers of the business because of like, drug use. There are guys, you know, crapping at people's bags and doing terrible pranks and all kinds of other stuff. And when I say pranks, that's air quotes if you're not watching the video. Uh, anything that involves destruction of somebody's property is not a prank. If, it, if, if you get a disease from it, it's not a prank. You know, crapping in somebody's bag, not a prank. That's abuse. Even though they call it a prank and they call it a rib, that's not what it is. So overall, uh, I was not aware of a lot of this stuff. I was I was aware of the fact that she ended up with Lex and started ended up doing a lot of drugs and stuff. I was not aware of the fact that he was basically near the end doing the same amount of drugs that he was doing. And he's like a 270, 250 pound man. She's like, they said 80 something pound woman. I don't know if that was exaggerating for the purposes of TV, but I know she was probably in the low hundreds, but she was not a, you know, she was not a big woman by any sense. She was not a, she was, you know, petite. So I was aware that she, you know, died of overdose. I was aware that, you know, a lot of people believe Luger. He goes on an outs wrestling business for a while, for a while. But although, again, he did seem to get his life together. I know Eric Bischoff said that he did appear to take responsibility for it and get his life together and become a better person after that. Obviously, I don't know him, so I can't judge that here there. But it does seem like, you know, even though he was, did have physical breakdown, he was in a, I believe he was in a wheelchair for a while, although, although I do believe he was able to finally sort of get his body back together and stuff out of it. So last I checked, he was working for uh, 
WCW, I mean, worked for WWE, you know, sort of helping out wrestlers who had fallen on hard times. I believe he'd been doing some Christian ministry and stuff as well. So it appears he, you know, at least somewhat got his life back together after that. And I haven't heard any negative stuff over here about him in the last, you know, five to ten years, I don't think. So if he was able to get his life together and whatnot, good for him. Uh, his relationship with Elizabeth at the time prior to her death did appear to be physically abusive. They did mention that he, uh, she had got two black eyes. I don't know if they said in the documentary that directly that he gave them to her, but I think it's just very, very heavily implied. And that absolutely is not acceptable. Like I said, there's no situation in which you should get the person in a relationship with, unless, and literally, unless they're attacking you. In that case, yeah, you defend yourself, but then the relationship's over. Somebody attacks you, <laughs> you should not be in a relationship with you have to fight. But uh, yeah, it was de- it was definitely a sad story to watch. And people you cared about, obviously, when I say cared about, it's not like they were like directly in my family or my friends you know there were people i saw watched on television but i you did feel invested particularly with the macho man and elizabeth angle in wwf at the time you felt really invested in it so it felt like they were part of your family they were in your they were in your house a couple times a week even before ron smackdown it would be like main event challenge and a bunch of other stuff that you get to see them so it was it definitely felt you know bad hearing that they had done so many terrible things and not only learning about the stuff you already knew, but really realizing the stuff that led to the stuff that you know. It was definitely a, a rough watch. But that actually leads into this next discussion. Ian Curry actually wrote an article back in early April. On SCScoops.com, six people log with the WWE Hall of Fame. One of the first person on the list is Miss Elizabeth. She definitely deserves uh, to be it. She played such a prominent role in the main boom eras of WWE, not only you know with her... Uh, her macho man uh, role as far as the feud with uh, George Animal Steel. It was, you know, one of the great all-time, you know, situations, Beauty and the Beast sort of thing uh, that they ran for a long, long time. There was also the mega powers in her role and this quote split up of that, even though it wasn't really her role. Oh, yeah. And another related, I always thought part of the breakup of them in real life was the fact that Hogan was, that uh, Savage was jealous of her relationship and thought maybe she was sleeping with Hogan. They didn't really go there in that uh, documentary. They said it was more of just uh, her hanging out with Linda and hanging out with their family, but not that they were having some sort of relationship with her and Hulk. Uh, see, I always thought that's what the, the, the belief that Randy had. Whether or not it happened or not, I thought that's what Randy believed. But they didn't really lean into that aspect. They didn't really say that. So I don't know if that was just something they decided to leave out of the documentary or if this just was a misunderstanding because, you know, we didn't have as much access back then. So we sort of heard it the wrong way or what. That was another interesting take in the documentary that was different from what I thought was in real life. Yeah, Miss Elizabeth definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Lex Luger, we discussed a little bit earlier. You know, when he his life fell apart, he ended up doing you know prison time and whatnot. But he had the look that WWF was looking for at the time. They tried to push him as enough Hogan for a while. He gave him a couple of different gimmicks that didn't quite take off the way that they expected. So he did eventually end up going back to WCW. But he's had a very, very respectable 
career, definitely a world champion, definitely somebody worthy of Hall of Fame as far as, even though I was not a huge fan of him as a, quote, in-ring worker, kind of not good at it, but he was definitely a character and somebody that definitely had a legacy that belonged to me in the Hall of Fame. Next, we got Owen Hart. Uh, obviously, we know why he's not going to be in the WWE Hall of Fame, but at least not as long as his widow's alive. She does not want him to really have much anything to do with WWE. He will not be going into the Hall of Fame while she's alive. Maybe if she passes away, and hopefully if that does occur, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they cure all diseases and stuff before I get elderly, so there won't be an issue. People have true mortality, and I definitely hope she, you know, she gets that. But uh, so, but if she unfortunately does pass away eventually, hopefully decades and decades from now, if it does happen, Maybe maybe Owen will get in after that. Maybe the rest of the family will want him in to support that legacy. Because I know Stu and the rest of the family being in, you know, it would make sense for Owen to be in too. Uh, I'm not holding my breath for that. Again, like I said, it's, if it does happen, it will happen years and years from now. Uh, next, we got Devolution. Obviously, they were involved in a lawsuit as far as I believe it was the, the CTE slash concussion lawsuit brain time and whatnot. That's part of why New Day ended up breaking their record as far as long as any WWE tag team champions. Sometimes stuff like that happens, you take advantage, New Day took advantage. So it was, uh, I don't think we're going to see Demolition in the WWE Hall of Fame anytime soon, but they definitely deserve it. Like I said, they were a very, very dominant tag team. And I I know they they said that it's quote not a quote ripoff of Legion of Doom slash World Warriors when World Warriors weren't in WWF at the time. Obviously, like back in the 80s, a lot of teams sort of went back and forth. Like we wanted a big, strong, dominant tag team. It felt like they were, it didn't quite feel like they were a ripoff directly of Legion of Doom, but you could tell they wanted something along those lines, spikes and whatnot, even though they looked a little bit less like football players with pads. They had more of a little S&M vibe to them. They also had sort of had the vibe of Matt Max which had been, you know, big a few years earlier. So it was sort of a combination of those things. It was also weird that, you know, Devilation was such a big team and later on Barry Dorsal had some kind of terrible gimmick after that that never sort of met like Devilation, sadly. It was also weird that, you know, when they added Crush to Devilation because I remember, I can't remember which guy was, one of either X or Smash was going to retire or semi-retire. So they added Crush. And then, next thing you know, Demolition is still out here wrestling as a team as of a few years ago. I don't know. I, I hadn't heard anything post-pandemic from wrestling, but they were still wrestling on the independent circuit. Both guys looking sad well past their prime. And also, with that particular outfit, that makes sense. Nothing like looking like an elderly S&M dude. I mean, to Easter own, but that's just not a good look, <laughs> in my opinion. Of course, my opinion is not the only one that matters. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. I was not feeling it. Uh, last but not least, this is kind of going to be the most controversial one of the list, the six on the list. Nancy Benoit. Honestly, I don't really think she belongs in the WWF. I would not make an argument against her if they decided to put her in. She did have a you know, interesting uh, run, but it's not like you immediately mention Nancy Benoit. Immediately, think, why is she not in the Hall of Fame? Think, why is she not in the Hall of Fame? She did some great stuff. She was with the Horsemen for a while. 
Uh, her one is woman in ECW with Sandman and some other stuff was pretty great. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, her, uh, she was married to Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit killed her. If people don't know who I'm talking about. I guess there are probably, there might be a generation of fans that not be, might not be aware of who I'm talking about, but just so I can clarify, Nancy Benoit was Chris Benoit's wife. Uh, unfortunately she did, uh, she was murdered by him along with one, one of, uh, along with their son. I believe that uh, that she retired from wrestling once their son was born. And she, she became a stay-at-home mom. I don't think she did any more stuff with wrestling, but I was I was not aware of her run had been like thirteen years of wrestling. So that that does change the dynamic for a little bit for me. I knew she had some, like I said, I knew she did some good work in Florida Championship and ECW. She also had a run in WCW. So I'm aware. Like I said, I'm not going to make the argument that she doesn't belong in. I'm just saying, if you come to mind and you talk about women, I don't, I don't immediately think that. Oh, why is she not in? She has to be in. She's not, she's not one of those must be in people in my book. But maybe if I went back and watched some more of her stuff, because I remember more of, I remember a lot of her ECW stuff as being good because I watched it, you know, a few years ago when I was getting caught up on ECW Hardcore TV. I don't remember her WCW run as much. And the other thing is, I've kind of seen the stuff out of order as well. So, like going back, if I watch, went back and watched her WCW stuff after having watched her ECW stuff, maybe I might see her run as a little bit different. But I saw her WCW run, and I didn't think that much of it, but I really did like her ECW run. So maybe if I watched her WCW run after her ECW run, maybe I would think, okay, that was a nicer, longer run. Maybe she does deserve a little bit more respect and business. So. I reserved the right to change my opinion on this. It was just when it merely came to mind, I did not think of her as automatically. And obviously, you got the whole controversy of her being murdered by Chris. So maybe that's a push that, you know, maybe that maybe that makes her more deserving. Maybe if she wouldn't have got murdered by him, she could have came back to the business or had an even longer run. Uh, oh, yeah. And that reminds me, I, I kind of almost had forgot about her run where they did the thing where Kevin Sullivan and Chris Malaro was feuding over her, and it's one of those work things that became a real life thing, because let's pretend you guys are together, but like do it really hard, like stay in the same hotel room together, do this and do that, next thing you know, oh yeah, you stay spend all this time together, and they're together. So that, that's the other part that I sort of uh, forgot about when I did back three and part of her great runs in WCW. So I didn't even think about that part, even though just the most obvious part that Sally ended up leading to everything else. But yeah, so looking back, again, I'm not saying she definitely doesn't deserve to be in. I'm saying I did not immediately think of her that way, but thinking about it more and more, I'm, I'm leaning a lot more towards, okay, yeah, they put her in. It does kind of make more sense. So anyway, that was the six stars from uh, the six, actually, there should have been more six names of people who should be in the W Hall of Fame although it wasn't six people because Demolition was a team. Although if they put Demolition in, did they just put X and Smash in or they put Crush in? I'm guessing they probably just do the thing where they only put X and Smash in because they don't usually add the extra people. Although it's kind of random who they put in when they put certain people in anyway. When they put uh, the Four Horsemen in, I believe they put in Blair, Blanchard, Arn Anderson, and Barry Wyndham, which didn't make sense to me. I'm not saying that 
favorite one that was in the Worthy Horseman. When I think of the Four Horsemen, I think of Arn and Oli, Tully and Rick. Yeah, because you get a uh, you get a uh, Barry in, in and Oli's not, and you get JJ in, but <laughs> Oli's not. Although when I hear about Oli in, I've heard word he's not a the best guy. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I did some air quotes if you're like not watching the video. He's not the best guy is the, is the way I'll put it without <laughs> involving into some of the other stuff that he's supposedly done or not done, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But uh, <sighs> by the way, let, let's let's go ahead and move on to some of the other uh, discussion that I want to get to for the evening before I get myself out of here. We do have an update on the uh, New Japan COVID outbreak. Apparently, they did uh, verify. They have been verified that uh, Juice Robinson, David Finley were some of the people that they were involved in the outbreak. Um, there was a total of nine people who were confirmed cases, but those are the ones that were confirmed had it as well as Jay White. The other six have not been named, uh, but those are the ones that have been publicly announced um, in one way or another. So we wish them a speedy recovery. Uh, they had canceled tapings from the 15th and the 19th events. They are apparently are now going to come back on the 25th. There's going to be a bit of a quarantine period. Uh, the guys that they were going to go home, the international people were going to go home. Apparently, the ones that didn't go home yet are not going to go home now. They're just going to hang out because it wouldn't make sense for them to try to travel, quarantine, come back, et cetera, et cetera. There'd be a lot of complications with international travel already being you know, kind of rough, but adding pandemic protocols and whatnot into it, it makes no sense for them to leave and come back. Hopefully, New Japan Wrestling will be back, and hopefully, everybody has been exposed while the speed recovery is headed. We'll have a speed recovery, everybody's been exposed, you know, they won't get it, and things will work out that way. So, that is a little bit of an update on their COVID outbreak in New Japan. You've got a couple more things I do want to discuss, uh, though. Uh, AEW Dynamite uh, last week uh, had some interesting things happen. I know a lot of people are saying uh, WWE is in their head. But I take the contrary position. It's not that WWE is quote in their head. It's the fact that WWE was the main event, the either the only game in town or the main national event or international event in town for a long while. There was the run where TNA was getting about a million viewers a, a, a week when they were on Spike TV until uh, they decided to go to head to head with uh, WWE and they just got killed and they ended up walking away with the tail between the legs and eventually going to going to Destination America and then eventually going to Pop TV. Now they're on Access TV where if they get 200,000, they're excited and thrilled. But uh, that that being said, uh, they did have some um, great stuff with AEW and those quote, throwback WWE segments they had. They did the uh, Spray pumper thing they did with uh, Sammy Guevara spraying uh, Pinnacle. Uh, that was like a throwback to the uh, Austin beer truck and the Kurt Angle milk truck thing where they sprayed them with a hose. So that was pretty funny. They also did a segment with the Young Bucks uh, during the SCU match where they told them, I'm sorry, I love you. But they did it in a big mocking fashion. And then they super, they super kicked them. Although that did not end the match, that was still hilarious to me. 
So I think most fans that are old enough to have watched Attitude Era can appreciate the little homage to it, especially with, you know, Bullet Club being a natural successor to the, the Click and the NWO. I mean, to a lesser degree, DX, but still to the Click and NWO and that whole connection there. Uh, and the Young Bucks, you know, who's being the team in the tradition of the Rock and Roll Express and the, uh, the Midnight Rockers slash Rockers, including members like Shawn Michaels, et cetera, et cetera. But I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed the, the spray truck. Uh, there was also some other interesting things that happened on the show as well. There was, you had a uh, Miro ending Darby Allen's, I guess nine. I believe he had nine title defenses, so he couldn't. He didn't quite make it to the tenth one, but he he had nine, I believe. So shout out, congratulations to Miro. He is now the best man. I guess was the second best man. I guess Kenny Omega is the world title holder. But on that hand, if you really think about it, he is the best man. If you think about it, the groom is actually technically really the best man at, at the wedding, supposedly. But the best man is called the best man, even though he's the second best man. So that kind of makes sense now if you think about it. If you, if you think of it in terms of a wedding. So, but uh, yeah, that was that was rough. You had uh, some little bit outside interference with uh, Ethan Page and uh, Scorpio Sky, you know, sort of working over Sting to a degree. Related note, I would expect a little bit more of a tribute from Scorpio Sky to SCU with them having broke up and Young Bucks ending their, you know, reign because that was the stipulation. If they lost again, they would break up forever. And they're supposedly sticking to their word, just like Cody Rose is supposed to think his word that he would never be aid of the World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, assuming that they stick to that. Uh, now, Scorpio Sky did send a little bit of a tribute you know, via social media, but he didn't do it on the Dynamite show that I'm aware of. Maybe they do something this week on Dynamite, particularly with him being a heel now and them being faces. I think there's, there's all sorts of opportunities for him to act like he's going to give them respect and into some sort of ridiculous stuff. So we'll see later in the week if they do do that. But overall, like I said, I enjoyed a lot of different segments and a lot of different things they did on the show. And respect to Kazarian uh, and uh, Christopher Daniels. Also, unfortunately, Kazarian's dad did pass away. He did post a very, very fitting tribute to his dad. So if you want to see something that's great and sad at the same time, check out Kazarian's, uh, I believe it was Twitter post where he did it. So that's rough. Uh, he did have a very, very touching portrait to his dad. So definitely check that out. And he actually did post if you've ever been a fan of me or enjoyed it in my matches. Uh, check this out. It's, it it also appears that his dad was a big part of helping feed that wrestling fandom into him. You know? And he was somebody who really, you know, dedicated himself to, you know, helping his son enjoy it. So, it's definitely rough when you lose a parent. I, I have experienced that uh, once already in my life. And unfortunately, my mom was uh, in her mid-50s when she passed. My dad is now in his, uh, I guess, technically still early 70s, I guess. Uh, no, no, no. Let me do the math on it. Let me do a quick math on it. <laughs> uh, no, he's late 70s. So I might be getting that uh, sad, unfortunate lose any, any moment. I know. He seems to be relatively good health for you know, what he's doing. He was still working as of a few years ago. But once you hit your mid-70s, Kind of like uh, any minute now, it could happen, and you wouldn't be shocked. Anyway, uh, 
let's move on to let me let me see if I got something happier to discuss than people losing parents. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, I did amount earlier that they get that hair versus hair match with Bianca Belair and Bailey probably coming up. Even though I don't officially announce this match has been officially announced, and this will this will actually be what I call. Uh, no, I take that back. I'll get to that in a second. I do have something else I do want to discuss before I do that. It, it is other AEW news, uh, but since that's happy news, and I I wanted to close the show out on happy news, let me get to you know the potentially sad and potentially rough news. There's supposedly a dissension among the ranks and AEW executives. And when I say AEW executives, I mean the executive vice president. So obviously, you know, Cody, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. Apparently, Cody is not getting along with uh, the elite guys. I don't know that they're trying to work us or if this is a real thing that's happened because a lot of people haven't put, put their name on these rumors and stuff that I'm seeing. I'm just seeing that there's been emails sent, blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know if they're trying to set us up for work or something, so I take stuff like this with a green of salt. But luckily, for the most part, the, it, my understanding with AEW is not like they uh, obviously Cody can't compete for the world heavyweight title, so that won't prevent them from working together. So that won't be a big issue. Cody's not really a tag team wrestler, so it didn't really mess up him working with the Young Bucks as far as that goes. So hopefully, if there is a problem between these guys, Tony Khan being the voice of reason over top of them would also work well I think as well so hopefully they can get their stuff together but I think if things do end up going south for this group obviously I think Cody would be the odd man out just due to the fact that he's outnumbered <laughs> and he's the guy that probably could most likely would be willing to start off on his own again and do his own thing you know somewhere else whether it be going back to WWE or you know maybe not Maybe starting his own company, but I think starting his own company would be a bad idea with AEW doing such a great job. It'd be weird to start your own company again. Now, buying over an existing property like uh, Ring of Honor or buying into like Impact or buying Impact or something like that, that would make more sense. Or MLW or you know some of these other you know larger indies that might make that might make a little bit more sense rather than starting a company from scratch like AEW did because. AEW did pull it off successfully. I don't think it could be pulled off successfully again. You know, AEW is a unicorn of wrestling. A wrestling company that actually makes money <laughs> and makes money in their first year, basically. AEW makes money. WWE makes money. Other than that, I don't think any of these other companies are making any, at least not any significant money. I think Impact's luckily if they're breaking even in that. They might be breaking even now at this point, I hope. Uh, Ring of Honor's probably... They probably made, lost money last year due to the pandemic, but I think prior to that, they probably probably doing moderately successful. I, I don't think they were losing money. I don't know, I think they were making a lot either, but I don't think they were losing any. But they invested their money wisely. They didn't, they didn't try to be the big international conglomerate company. They said, hey, we got a nice thing here going locally in America. We'll play our smaller venues. We'll keep our talent as long as it's reasonably affordable. And if they get a big money offer somewhere else that we can't match, we're not going to try to overextend ourselves and shoot our shot that way. So I think overall, Ring of Honor's pandemic withstanding, they were doing solid. And they also do have a billion-dollar company behind them. So it's not like they're on food stamps anyway. You know, They can cover what they need to cover until things do get a little bit better. Anyway, uh, I do hope they are able to get things together. 
Uh, last but not least, like I said, I did mention earlier, I want to end on a happier note. Uh, Kenny Omega is apparently going to be defending the AAA Mega Championship against Andrade. Or the guy formerly known as Andrade. I don't think he's known by the name Andrade anymore. Uh, Andrade's been doing a lot of stuff since leaving WWE. He's got matches with Alberto Del Rio and some other you know, talent. But this is going to be a huge match. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's very, very exciting news. So it's nice to have something happy to close out on. So I'll just close out on that happy story. At any rate, if you appreciate what we do over here on VLC Nation slash Wrestling with Problems, uh, you can get your Wrestling with Problems shirt uh, on ProWrestlingTees.com. Just look up ProWrestlingTees.com and look up Wrestling with Problems. You'll come to our shirt. Get it. Help support the show. Help support me. Uh, if you're in the Northwest Indiana, Chicago land, Michigan areas, I do my uh, King's Comedy Open Mic every Wednesday night, free admission. Keep on the field and be a bit six here in Indiana. So come check that out. Uh, you also have this Friday night, I'll be performing improv with Disposable Theater at uh, the Anderson Winery in Valparaiso. So come check that out. Uh, you can get your tickets. You look on Facebook, just look at the Disposable Improv page on Facebook. You can get your ticket information there. Um, what else I got? Oh, yeah. Please give us a five-star rating and give us a review on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. I'm King David Lane. Even though Brian's not here in person, he did try to record show earlier and it just didn't work out for us. So, uh, shout out from Brian Hunter at Brock Biz on Twitter. Give him a follow as well. Like King David Lane on most major social media platforms. King David Comedy on most major social media platforms. I'm King David Lane. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Talk to you then. Bill Apter has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill Apter's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was a hell of a champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did Heenan have anything to do with this? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history.